Gina Della from Pella. And let me tell you, 555 is back. Get up to five years no interest, five months no first payment, and 5% same-day order savings at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. See PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So I'm getting the the studio set up like I typically do for the program and have for the last 20-plus years. And it occurs to me today's a little bit different. They're saying to Steve, I went to the eye doctor this morning, just a you know routine checkup. I Actually, my, uh, my eye doctor had, had retired, and so had it, I, I delayed a little longer than I should. I'm supposed to go in every year, and I think we were kind of at the two-year point and went in this morning and you know got my eyes checked out, and they're, they're all fine. But you know, if you've ever been to like the ophthalmologist, what they do is they have to dilate your eyes, and um, it, it takes a while. So my eyes are still dilated, and so very, very sensitive driving in and, and now things are kind of a blur so I've got the computer screens in front of me I've got the lights turned down and um, I think it might take a little bit of time so if I don't if I don't make as many references to our our text line it's because it's just a little bit tougher for me to read them as quickly but we will get through it I was listening to the sports broadcast I had an opportunity to go to uh, the Brewers game last night and it, it was it was an outstanding game the result didn't turn out the way that I think us Brewers fans wanted, although I was in the company of a closet St. Louis Cardinals fan. Uh, one of my dear friends and I went to the game, and she was um, I th- she she was not rooting openly, but she was happy that the Cardinals won. But it was a two-to-one game, and Brewers had the bases loaded with two outs in the ninth inning, and their last guy on the bench came on and ended up striking out. But it, it, it was a, a good game, and the Brewers are going to win the Central Division title at some point in time, even though you know, they've lost the last couple games. But Again, the, the thing that, that struck me was the attendance. And I know I, I've talked about this before, but they had an announced crowd of 30,000 people there, which is good. Don't, don't get me wrong. But for a team that is, good as the, is as good as the Brewers are, um, playing in a meaningful game in September, the fact that there were 10,000 plus empty seats, it's just, it was kind of frustrating. I mean, look, when the uh, playoffs roll around, my, my hope is that Miller Park and Miller Park American Family Field is going to be full um, and, and people are going to come back. And I understand there's lots of issues going on, including lots of stuff going on. Some people still concerned about covid people, you know, with economic issues as a result of the pandemic. But I, I'm here to tell you, this is a great baseball team and this is something special. And they've got, what, five more home games left before the playoffs. And I, I hope I hope that people turn out and, and watch this team because they're they're playing really good baseball, regardless of whether they lost. And this, these games with St. Louis, um, they're they're good baseball games. St. Louis is going to make the playoffs as the second wild card team. The Brewers are going to win the Central Division title. Maybe they'll go on to play each other sometime in the playoffs. But I'm telling you, get out, Brewers fans, get on the bandwagon. There's plenty of room. All right, let us get started. We've talked repeatedly on this program about vaccine mandates. Um, with encouragement from the federal government, 
Now you have businesses that are telling people you have to be vaccinated. When we've talked about this before, they're saying, for example, in the healthcare field, if you're not vaccinated by October 15th or you're not vaccinated by November 1st, we're going to consider that to be a voluntary resignation and you will be discharged, you know, and so and I, I think in general, those are going to be challenged in the courts, but it's probably going to turn out to be legal. That's my that's my general reaction. And as I've talked about before, I think one of the problems that's going to happen is, you know, in, in industries where you do not have enough people to do the jobs to begin with, like, for example, the nursing home industry, if suddenly when one out of every four jobs is vacant now, how do you get rid of 30% of the remaining workforce who hasn't been vaccinated? But that's another issue. There are exceptions to the vaccine mandate rule. And, and almost all companies and businesses have two major exceptions. The first is if you have a medical reason not to get vaccinated. For example, if your doctor says, well, because you have this particular condition and um, you are allergic to these shots or, or whatever, you know, you can get a letter from the physician saying that you, you can't get one. That is a very, very small subset of, of people. And it's based on specific medical information and specific medical reactions. And it's got to come from your physician. There is another exception to most of the vaccine mandate rules. And that is if you have a, quote, serious, serious, sincere religious belief against vaccination, you you can be exempt from this. Now, this raises a number of issues specifically. All right. What what is a sincere religious belief uh, about this and who gets to decide whether or not your religious belief is sincerely held or not? Now, for example, most major religions do not oppose on, you know, do not oppose getting vaccinations and shots. Even the, the Christian scientists who generally believe in the power of prayer over medicine, they, they've been silent. They, they've not taken an official position on the whole issue of, you know, the vaccination question. And again, most of the, the major religions, you know, don't. Don't have as a tenant, you should not get vaccinated. Now, that doesn't you know, necessarily end the inquiry. But f- as a practical matter, it's not like you can say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm Catholic or I'm Episcopalian or I'm Jewish or I'm Muslim. And our religion teaches that you don't get shots. OK, that there's there's no there, there's nothing that appears in any of the tenets of these religions that, that necessarily demonstrate that. But in order for it to be a sincerely held belief, it, it doesn't necessarily have to, you know, correspond with the teachings of the Catholic Church or the Episcopal Church or the Presbyterian Church or, you know, your rabbi. It, it doesn't necessarily have to do that. But the question becomes, how, how do you determine and how does an employer determine what is a sincerely held religious belief? So this brings me to an editorial that's in the um, L.A. Times today, which essentially says, look, here's the deal. We got to get rid of this exemption. You know, if vaccine mandates are going to work by allowing persons to simply say, hey, I've got a sincerely held religious belief, 
you've created a loophole that's large enough to drive a truck through. So the argument in the L.A. Times is individuals shouldn't be able to come out and simply say, well, I I don't think God wants me to get vaccinated. And as a result, I'm not going to. All right. I'm intrigued by this whole conversation. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should people be able to assert a sincerely held religious belief against the vaccination? And and how how do you go ahead? And if, if the answer is yes, how do you go ahead and prove it? I mean, do you, you say, OK, I need a letter from your rabbi. I need a letter from your priest. I need a letter from your minister saying that the religion that you belong to uh, doesn't doesn't subscribe to this. Well, if that's the case, good luck trying to get one of those things. There's this kind of cottage industry that has developed over the Internet, just like. You know, people can now, or at least used to be able to pay $75 and they'd get a, a letter from, you know, somebody in Arizona saying that, that their pet was actually a, a service dog and so that they could fly on the planes for free. There's kind of this cottage industry that's starting to develop where you have members of the, the quote unquote clergy, whatever that is, who, hey, you make a quote unquote donation to the church and they'll give you a letter saying, hey, this is, Jeff is a member of the church of what's happening now and, you know, we, we don't believe in vaccines, so here he shouldn't have to get one. 855-616-1620. Should we allow people to opt out based on sincerely held religious beliefs. And and what does that mean? How do you prove it? And how does an employer decide what is a sincerely held religious belief? 855-616-1620, we discuss. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, this is a very, very practical issue. For most of the vaccine mandates, the the, the only exceptions are okay. First of all, if, you, if if your doctor says physically you can't get it, that's a very, very small subset of people. But you understand that you know, you have a history of allergic reactions to vaccines, something like that. I, I mean, I understand that. The other exemption that's out there is for people who have sincerely held religious beliefs against vaccinations. Now, the problem with this is that really no major established religion bans vaccination against COVID-19 or other diseases. That, that's that, that's just the reality. But of course, the, the rule isn't listed or limited to, um, again, major established religions. In, in Los Angeles, to give you an idea about this, there All public employees are mandated to get vaccinated, and apparently thousands of L.A. employees are lining up to claim religious exemptions from the city's vaccination requirement. Thousands and thousands of people. And this is now playing out, and the ball gets essentially, you know, shuffled over to the employer, who is then required to decide, okay, what is a sincerely held religious belief? I mean, if it is not an official teaching of the Catholic Church or of of Judaism or whatever, can you, should there be an exemption? And there's an interesting piece in the LA Times saying, we just shouldn't have a religious exemption. It should be medical, and if it's, and beyond medical, everybody should get it. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Richard in Illinois. Richard, you're on WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. Hi, Richard. Usually, usually you and me are on total opposite sides of all your topics, and I'm not sure where you're on this, but I'm a believer 
one-size-fits-all mandates are mandates, rules are rules, no exceptions. These people who think that they shouldn't be mandated to get vaccines are just wacko to me. Vaccines have been, vaccines have been mandated for years and years. I'm 63. I remember having to take the polio sugar cube when I went to kindergarten, you know, so... This mandatory vaccine thing is nothing new. This is just crazy. Do you think there should do you think that do you think there should be religious exemptions for anything? For example, no, um, no, to nothing. Okay, well, like for example, I'm just going to give you an example. For example, during during when when we had the, the draft, you know, compulsory military service, there were exemptions for people whose religions. Um, uh, uh, oppose that. And so, like, for example, if you were a Quaker, you, you could, you could opt out of the draft. You might have to do other things. Was that wrong? Should we have required everybody to be subject to the draft? I think that if they wanted to remain a citizen of the United States, they should should have followed the rules, and they should have been honored to go and serve for the United States. Okay, thanks for calling. Well, at least that's consistent. I mean, but we, we do have, in this country, we have had a history of accommodating individual religions, you know, that, that teach in, in a certain way. And we've, we've had a history of saying, okay, the government isn't going to require, we are not going to require you to do things that are, you know, in violation of your faith. Now, the problem is that if you if you start to say okay well we're not we're not going to honor any sort of religious exemptions you you start to go down a slippery slope because maybe in the case of vaccinations you say well no I, I don't think that there should be any objections to this I think it's too important but then you know when do you have the the next example where somebody has a sincerely held religious belief eight five five six one six one six twenty that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line Jeff what happened to the right to choose from ourselves well that's the larger that, of course, is the larger issue with, you know, should you have vaccine mandates or not? This is the narrow question of what does an employer do when you've said, hey, if you're not vaccinated by November 1st, you're going to lose your job. All right. That, that's the rule. Then you come in and say, all right, here, here's the deal. I, I believe God does not want me to get vaccinated. And this is a sincerely held religious belief. Well, do you have a letter from your priest? No, I don't have a letter from your priest. Do you have a letter from a rabbi? No, no, I don't. But this is. You know, here I can I can cite you examples in the Bible. I can quote scripture to you that would suggest that, well, you know, we should leave it all up to God as opposed to having to get vaccinated. And I believe in the scripture. Well, what does the employer do in a situation like that? Do you ignore it? Do you simply say, well, no, unless you've got a letter from the priest or unless you've got a, a letter from the rabbi? Or like I was saying earlier, like I say, there are there are these cottage industries that are developing. There is the you know, self-proclaimed doctor of divinity sitting out there on the Internet who for $75 or $100 without even meeting you will give you a letter saying, hey, Jeff is a member of the church of what's happening now, and we believe that, you know, you, you should not get vaccinated. Well, what's an employer to do in that situation? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's a text, Jeff, if we let people opt out for religious beliefs, where do we draw the line? That's a slippery slope. So then I can opt out of anything I don't agree with and claim the religious exemption? Well, that's the... That's the problem there. Now, here's a text that says, Jeff, our local priest is handing out letters like candy to anyone that asks, right, which raises the other side of the, this issue. Because, like I say, the as, as far as I know, and I think it's pretty 
clear that no major religion teaches that, you know, vaccinations are against the religion. Uh, I mean, no major religion bans vaccination against COVID-19. On the other hand, what what does an employer do if you have, you know, somebody who says, hey, I've got a letter from my priest, I've got a letter from my rabbi, that even though the Catholic Church, or even though, you know, whatever, has not come out and formally said, don't get vaccinated. Well, here's a letter from my rabbi or here's a letter from my priest saying that, uh, you know, that I, I have a sincerely held religious belief against this. What does an employer do? And I will tell you this, there is going to be a ton of litigation. Where do I come down on this? Well, I think First of all, I, I think there has to be a religious exemption. I, I do not think that the government should be able to compel people who do have the sincerely held religious beliefs. I don't think that they should be able to force them to do something against their religion or that they, their job should be forfeit if you know, it's it's against their sincerely held religious belief. The law is very clear, for example, that employers have an obligation to accommodate to the extent possible, you know, people, um, their, their religious beliefs. So that doesn't mean that, that you can't necessarily fire somebody if they come in and they say that their religion prohibits them do, from doing something like this, but you do have an obligation to accommodate. And if you're not going to accommodate, you have to prove that there was no way you can do it. I, I don't think that you can ever get to a point where you go back on that. I am of the opinion, though, that this is going to be the, the great quote-unquote dodge that's out there, where a lot of people are just simply going to say, it's against my religious belief. And then when the employer turns around and fires them, there's going to be lawsuits. This is going to be the cottage industry of the next couple of years, because my guess is lots and lots of individuals are going to say, well, yeah, I, I... I just don't believe God wants me to get the vaccine. This is a sincerely held belief. And if employers act on that and then say, okay, well, we don't think this is legitimate, you're, you're, it's an invitation to get dragged into court. And I honestly don't know what the courts are going to do. But as long as you have this religious exemption, and I don't see how you take it out, as long as you have it, it's it's a loophole in the vaccination rules, which is large enough to drive a truck through, which is one of the many reasons why, as somebody who is very, very much pro-vaccine, I am still against vaccine mandates because I, I just don't think you should be forcing people to do this to get vaccinated. I think the better way is to, as I've argued before, just make it so onerous for people. Hey, we're going to make you go through testing every two days and we're going to make you pay more in health insurance and we're going to have all those things. I think that's the better way to get compliance because, mark my words, all sorts of people that have these deadlines coming up, they're going to be putting in for religious exemptions and the employers, well, they're going to get sued if they say no. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. One final text to wrap up this conversation. Jeff, I work for one of the major healthcare companies in southeast Wisconsin, and we were told that we don't need a letter from any rabbi, priest, etc., if we want to assert a sincerely held religious belief against vaccination. Well, and that may very well be the case. And if that, in fact, is the case, then then you've got a loophole, like I say, that's large enough to drive a, a truck through if people simply can say, well, I, I, I don't believe God wants me to get vaccinated or whatever. I have a sincerely held religious belief against this without having to document it. It's why the vaccine mandates have problems to begin with, even if everybody agrees it's a desirable goal to get as many people vaccinated as possible. Trying to force it creates all sorts of issues like this.
Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This week's sponsor for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank, is Miller Mobility. Miller Mobility is your go-to for the best in stair lifts, scooters, ramps, lift chairs, and power recliners. They are really great people. Give them a call, 262-549-4900, and don't forget to check out their new showroom at 36336 North Summit Village Way in Oconomowoc. Miller Mobility, now you can. Yeah, they, they really are great people. And it's, you know, it's one of the things I love about our home improvement showcase is, is we have varied sponsors. And for example, uh, last week, our, our sponsor were, were Bruce and Jean Nimovitz, who are, are helping people. And we had a seminar that we did yesterday, um, a webinar, not a seminar, a webinar, because we don't get together in person anymore, at least not for a while. Um, it was a webinar talking about how when you come to that point where you it's time to leave the family home, the things that you can do and how you can help them do that. And this is the flip side of it, Miller Mobility, for people who want to continue to stay in the family home, um, things that you can do to, again, make that home more accessible, whether it's dealing with stuff in the bathroom or working with stuff on the stairs and things like that. And it's it, it's one of the things I love about our Home Improvement Showcase. We feature sponsors who can really provide meaningful help to people with like real-world issues. All right, so I get back from the baseball game last night, and my wife had, had taped the the news that she likes to watch the ABC News with David Muir and she said Jeff I, I know you were talking about the the stuff that's going on on the border I heard your show about it yesterday and I, I just here I, I've taped this and and we've got we've got some of the the pictures from from the border and she said I thought you'd like to see it and so well, I think I've seen it but I I went and I, I watched it again now the the headlines a day or two ago were things like the border patrol agents are whipping these Haitian migrants. Um, Border Patrol agents on horseback in Del Rio drew outrage. Why do they still wear horses? That was what ride horses. That was the uh, story in the U uh, in the USA Today. The Washington Post. Amid furor over border images, Biden faces Democratic backlash on immigration. It, it goes on and on and on. And there's the stories that are oh, you've got these border agents that are down there, and they're they're whipping. They're absolutely whipping the the migrants. How dare they whip anybody? Okay, well, first of all, the, the the border patrol agents aren't whipping anybody. Those images that you saw are them. They're riding horses. They ride horses. Why do they ride horses? They ride horses because there's areas of the border where it makes, if you're going to police them, it makes more sense to be on horseback than it necessarily does to be in a Jeep or a car or things like that. That's why they ride the horses. For everybody who is out there, oh, my gosh, they're whipping people. They weren't whipping anybody. I don't think there's any examples of a whip which was being used. If you've ever been near a horse or seen somebody ride a horse, what you have is you have these things called reins that, you know, that's how you control the horse. And the images that you see are the Border Patrol agents, you know, using the reins of the horses and they're trying to steer the horses and they're swinging the reins around and things like that. But, but nobody, nobody is whipping the, the people who are streaming across the border illegally. Now, it is true 
that what a lot of these border control agents are trying to do is they are trying to apprehend people as they come into this country illegally and they cross the river. They are also yelling at people, telling them to get back on the other side of the river. But that's their job. That's what they are supposed to do. And I guess for everybody that's outraged about these pictures, oh, you've got these guys on horseback that are chasing down these folks who are coming into this country illegally. My question is, what what do you think that they should do? I mean, what is the purpose of having border control agents if we are not going to allow them to apprehend or encourage or send people back across the the border, or try to stop them from coming across the border in the first place? Are they just simply supposed to be there and be potted plants and stand back and, and watch tens of thousands of people stream illegally into this country. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, these are the images, and this is the story this week, and people are outraged, and the Biden administration says it's horrified. Of course, my opinion, it's the Biden administration that caused this whole problem by their subtle message that they've been sending to immigrants that the border is, in fact, open. Now, I understand they deny that, but that's certainly not the message that has gotten out. But from the perspective of law enforcement, I mean, do we want them at the border aggressively trying to apprehend and or turn people back or prevent them from coming into this country in the first place? Or is their role to just stand by and watch thousands of people stream into this country in violation of the law? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Seems to me you cannot have it both ways. Do we want the border control officers to actually try to take control of the border? Or do we want them just to sit by and watch everybody come into the country illegally? 855-616-1620. I guess I vote for having them do their job, which is to try to stop people from coming into the country illegally and turn others back who have entered the country illegally. What do you want them to do? 855-616-1620, we discuss. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The hunt for Brew October is on as the crew closes in on another NL Central title. Mr. Baseball Bob Euchre calls Brewers Baseball right here on WTMJ. And if you live in southeast Wisconsin, you can also listen online, on your phone, and on Alexa. It's the hunt for Brew October, presented by Annex Wealth Management and sponsored by Boucher Automotive. All right, there's all this angst. I'm looking at, okay, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, you know, the infamous, you know, AOC, called the border agents, called their actions a stain on our country on Monday, while Representative Ilan Omar from Minnesota said it was cruel, inhumane, and a violation of domestic and international law. What they are talking about is the border control agents who are mounted, and that's nothing new. They're, they're, they're mounted, and they've been mounted forever because in many cases when you're patrolling the border, it's just horses are easier than being in Jeeps and things like that. So you've got that scenario that's going on, and what they are is they see people pouring across the border, and they're using, again, they're on horses. They're using the horses. They are trying to discourage people from coming across. They're trying to catch people, and in some cases physically apprehend them when they're trying to run away. I mean, I, I look at this stuff, and I, I understand that we want to just get outraged about all these things, but this is a stain on our country. 
give me a break. At what point in time do we have a right to control our borders from thousands and thousands and thousands of people who are pouring across the borders illegally? Um, cruel, inhumane, a violation of domestic and international law? Where, where do people get this idea. I mean, it's not like they're sitting there with machine guns shooting people that are coming across the border. What they're trying to do is apprehend people who are coming across the border illegally, and they are trying to discourage people from coming across in the first place. Isn't that their job? I mean, seriously, why do we send officers down there if we're not going to allow them to do the job? Jeff, the situation at the border shouldn't have come to this. The USA needs a credible deterrent to prevent illegal immigration. I don't know what it is, but we need it, and it's long overdue. Well, right, I I, I understand that. And, look, everybody's got a story. I, I, I understand. I get why people are coming to the United States in search of a better life. Get it. Understand that. Appreciate that. But at the same time, there's no country in the no, certainly no first world country that just has open borders that says, all right, because you think the standard of living in the United States is going to be better than the standard of living in in Haiti here, let's have. Let's have 100,000 people. Let's have 200,000 people. Let's have 500,000 people stream across the border and then expect to be taken care of by the U.S. social system. No country does that because no country could, in fact, do that. So, I mean, that's the bottom, you know, that's kind of the bottom line on this. And, and yes, do, do I want... Do I want customs and border patrol agents to be engaging in violations of civil rights of people? Do I want them to be beating folks? No, but they weren't beating folks. They were using horses to deter people and catch people who were coming across. But yet you've got the folks with the agenda that say, oh, they had whips. Well, they didn't have whips. They, they had reins, and reins are how you control these various horses. Look, this is a huge problem. The problem has been caused, I, I think, by decades of failed immigration policies, and it's been made worse by the Biden administration and the Biden administration sending these messages that we're different than Trump. We're, we, you know, we are not going to be the people that are putting up the walls at the border and stopping people from coming in. And when you send that message out, it's like giving a green light to people who want to come into this country. Do I think we should have immigration? Absolutely. But we should have legal immigration. There is a way to go about getting into this country and simply saying, hey, you know, leave Haiti, sign up with some human trafficker, get through Mexico and then come on in and we're going to just allow you to stay in this country for years and years and years. That's just not acceptable. And so the Border Patrol agents have to turn people back, don't they? Well, of course they do. This is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. The school year is officially underway, and all kids deserve a safe space to reach age-appropriate milestones and overcome developmental challenges. Please join our very own Gene Miller from WTMJ all month to help raise money for Penfield Children's Center in Milwaukee. To learn more about how you can help and about the mission of Penfield Children's Center, go to WTMJ.com. WTMJ Cares is sponsored by Gruber Law Offices. One call, that is all. Yesterday, 
I was going to say something really bizarre happened in Washington, D.C., but something bizarre happens in Washington, D.C. pretty much every day. But it is an irony to me of the way, for example, Donald Trump was covered versus the way that, that Joe Biden was covered. Trump, for all his failures, was a president that at least answered questions and engaged with the press. Now, I think you can make a strong argument that he hurt himself by engaging with the press too much. I think he he enjoyed sparring with people, and that got him into trouble because he, he said things that, well, he probably shouldn't have said. He said things off the cuff that turned out to be not true. But at least... At least he showed he was with it, engaged, and willing to have the discussion. And again, like I say, I, I think that that hurt Trump in some respects because he would have been better off perhaps just like staying on point than shutting his mouth and not going off like a wild cannon. Well, like a loose cannon. We have the opposite going on now. You've heard all the stories about how cloistered and protected Biden ha- has been to the point that um, when he's you know, giving addresses before he can take questions. The somebody at the White House has the button that will turn off his mic because we, we don't want to allow him to speak. Well, what happened yesterday is Boris Johnson, who is the prime minister from Great Britain, he was in Washington, D.C. for a meeting with with Biden. So they had had this meeting. And then what happens is they they let the press in for like a photo opportunity. So Biden is sitting there and Boris Johnson is sitting there and the press typically at these things, they, they, they ask questions, all right? So what happens is they're there. Boris Johnson, the prime minister, minister of Great Britain, recognizes a couple reporters to, to answer questions. Okay, well, let, let's, let's talk about this. At which point in time, couple reporters start shouting out questions at Joe Biden, asking him, I think they want to talk about what's going on at the border. And this bizarre thing happens because at this point in time you have all these White House aides that apparently start shouting down the the reporters. Oh, that's it. No questions. No questions. Because Boris Johnson, he, he's there. He's willing to take questions. Historically, you take questions in this sort of setting. Donald Trump would always take questions about anything. But apparently these White House aides are so concerned I, the only thing I can think of is that they're concerned that Biden isn't up to it and that Biden, they don't want to have him engage in some sort of unscripted or uncontrolled dialogue about issues that might be uncomfortable to him, like, you know, what's going on at the border. So the White House aides start kind of like shouting down the, the news media, and then they shuttle Boris Johnson out. They shuttle Joe Biden out. And Boris Johnson, I think, is sitting there going, wait, I, I, I thought we were going to answer questions and things like that. Apparently, after this, what happened is reporters just stormed into, you know, the White House to complain that they were were shut out on this different things. And, um, you know, Biden, it's just like, well, no, but the aides and this is an interesting thing. It's the complete contrast. Trump, at least for all his faults and Lord knows there were faults. Trump would at least feel competent and comfortable in engaging the media. And maybe he shouldn't have done that as much. You've got Joe Biden that aides apparently feel is not up to interacting with the media, even in situations where you would typically be answering questions, which does kind of make you wonder, huh, you know, what's going on? If the British prime minister was up to answering questions, why isn't the U.S. president up to answering questions? Back with more in just a minute. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Mike Spaulding, you are not quite as militantly anti-pumpkin as I am, huh? Not quite. 
Well, okay, so, so I, I, here's the deal. And we had during the during the news break, the State Fair, they, they now have these pumpkin cream puffs mm-hmm. and, and all, which which, which which is which is fine. I, my big beef is a little bit of pumpkin goes a long way, and you know, I, I I like pumpkin pie around Thanksgiving, pumpkin pie, some whipped cream, and that's great. But it's just, and again, people can buy whatever they want. But I watch stuff. I just think we've gone nuts when it comes to, like, pumpkin. It's pumpkin this, pumpkin that, and particularly pumpkin beers. It seems like to me almost every craft brewer in the country feels compelled to come out with a pumpkin beer. And hate is a strong word. I dislike pumpkin beer to begin. Now, again, obviously, there's people that are buying it as a novelty or because they really genuinely like it. But I, I swear, I, I don't I just don't get it. I like a, a pumpkin beer, maybe two. I buy a four pack and it's killing me. I can't remember exactly what the, the brand Which one, is. Yeah. But, but it doesn't matter because every craft brewer has a pumpkin beer because obviously people are buying that. Yeah, it, yeah it, exactly. But I'm with you, too, with the overdoing of pumpkin. Everywhere you walk smells like pumpkin. Everything you like to eat is going to all of a sudden have <laughs> Pumpkin, pumpkin in yeah, it. yeah, but I, I don't need pumpkin potato chips, you know. I, I don't need pumpkin crusted chicken. I mean, I, give, give me a piece of pumpkin <laughs> pie around Thanksgiving. I, I like it, but but I, I, again, obviously, this is there is a market for this because otherwise, it wouldn't all be pumpkin donuts and pumpkin cereal and pumpkin all this. Can I say that in the fall, I'm more of a fan of the apple stuff. Oh yeah, like I, I'm all in on the apple cider donuts and apple cider, all that kind of stuff. It, it's more of a pumpkin. I, I like it more than pumpkin. I'm not a pumpkin pie guy. Oh, well, see, I, I, again, I, I mean, I'd be more of an apple pie, but it's a pumpkin guy. But Thanksgiving, then you would have appreciated one of the towns that we were in in France, um, Rouen. Although that's not quite how you pronounce it, but that's how uh, us guys in the United States pronounce it. We we were at the we were at you know one of the. You know, one of the factories and stuff, and they were serving this. Um, they were serving. I mean, it was apple everything because you know this was the area where they, they this region where they grow apples, and it was those were some really spectacular different kind of apple dishes that we ended up having. Yeah, I, I'm. It's the only time. It's kind of like pumpkin, I guess. Apple, I really get into it in the fall, like we do. Uh, we go to the apple orchard as you do in the fall, and. You got to get the apple cider donuts when you're there, right? They like roll right out of the fryer, right off the conveyor belt, and into a uh, into right. a bag for you up in your uh, old neck of the woods. I think in the Mequon area, there's a great pumpkin or a great uh, apple picking right. orchard you, that we you, go to. You go do that, yeah. Now, see, now we, we've started. Actually, most of our texts, a lot of texts are coming in. Jeff, I agree. Pumpkin pie, maybe pumpkin bread or a pumpkin muffin. Otherwise, um, too much pumpkin. Mm-hmm. So that's there. That's that kind of the consensus. But we are obviously in the minority on this because if there was not money to be made by pumpkin bagels and pumpkin, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. They would not be producing it. Came so. across pumpkin cream cheese yesterday. Actually, believe it or not, and I said, "When are we done <laughs> with well, the pumpkin?" Probably not for a while because it's still September and Thanksgiving doesn't roll around till November. So, I, my guess is, we've got two more months of pumpkin to go. Luckily enough, you won't have to eat the same pumpkin food twice because there's so many options out there. You can make it for every meal. I'm still staying away from the pumpkin beer. I was actually talking to a, a guy who runs a craft brewery about a year or two ago. and that, I was just sort of joking. I said, why do you guys produce the pumpkin stuff? And actually, the guy that runs the brewery said, said you know, I, I, we, we don't like it too, but we have to do it because everybody else is doing it and there's a demand for it. And if we don't come out with the pumpkin beer, they're going to say, well, why are you coming out with pumpkin beer? Because Mike's Brewing Company is coming out with pumpkin beer so um go figure
If it was me, it would be a... I, I love the Oktoberfest beers. I'm a humongous fan, and because it has, like, a little pumpkin, but it also has, like, the coriander and the cinnamon flavors in it, so... I'm sad that they've gone away from the Oktoberfest and have gone more towards the straight pumpkin because I don't think the variety is there. My very close <laughs> friend who is a, a craft beer aficionado, and he, he loves Oktoberfest beers, and he he starts buying Oktoberfest beers just as soon as they first come out in maybe like August mm-hmm. and stuff. You can find some, and so he, he's a big fan of that. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll have one or two, but that's it. But okay. If you want the pumpkin, don't, the pumpkin lovers of of Southeast Wisconsin, pumpkin lovers of the United States, pumpkin lovers of the world, do not send hostile texts and emails to either Mike Spaulding or myself. We were just kind of expressing our opinion. We clearly recognize that we are in the minority because pumpkin has taken over the world. Do you do pumpkin seeds? Like do no. you f- you don't bake them? Like put salt on them and bake them and throw them in the oven? That's good. You're missing. That's good, Jeff. I'll bring you some. I'll bring you some this okay, year. Okay, all right. No, I, 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 again, I go back to where I started this. Pumpkin pie, maybe for Thanksgiving with a little bit of whipped cream on it. And after that, that's pretty much my pumpkin experience. But I'm willing to, I'm willing to expand my horizons, I guess. All right. Let us switch gears. This was the big announcement from a day or two ago. Pfizer announced that its coronavirus vaccine had been shown to be safe and effective for kids ages 5 to 11. Now, the doses that they're recommending giving kids 5 to 11 is not the same dose of Pfizer that I got, for example. It's it's a third of it. It's the same vaccine, but it's only, the, it's only one-third. So you're not getting the full dose. You're getting a third of the dose. But they say it has been, you know, it's been approved. They're putting in for approval. They say it's great. Um, If it's authorized by the Food and Drug Administration, the argument is it could be a game changer for millions of American families and could help get control of the Delta variant. Right now, there are about 28 million children ages 5 to 11 in the United States. And that's, by the way, far more than the 17 million kids ages 12 to 15 who became eligible for the Pfizer vaccine in May. So the argument is once the FDA signs off on it, assuming they do, and I have no reason to believe that they won't, once they sign off on it, if if parents decide that they want to get their kids ages 5 to 11 vaccinated, that would be about 28, potentially 28 million children. Not everybody's going to get vaccinated, but let's say you could get 70% vaccinated. That would be a huge chunk of vaccinated kids, which would presumably, assuming the vaccinations work, uh, stop at least a good portion of those kids from getting sick in the first place, and presumably, if the vaccinations work, stop the kids from getting it and passing it to someone else. Now, there's a big if to this. And the first if is whether parents are going to play along. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Will you buy in? Will parents of kids ages 5 to 11 buy in on getting their kids voluntarily vaccinated. Now, we, we have childhood shots. You get shots, you know, before you go to school for, for measles and mumps. And they, they still give out, I think, the polio vaccine. You, you give out a, a variety of vaccines that are, are part and parcel of just, you know, growing up. You go to your pediatricians. These are the shots you get. Will parents buy into the COVID vaccine? And if you have a kid 
or a grandkid, ages 5 to 11, once this thing becomes approved for, again, emergency use, will you be in a hurry to have your children vaccinated? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'll tell you where I think this is going to go in just a moment, but I'm curious as to whether you think large numbers of people will buy in and have their young children, their preteen kids, vaccinated with this new dose of Pfizer. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This is, it's interesting. Um, Pfizer on Monday announced that they were putting in for emergency approval from the FDA to allow 5 to 11-year-olds to receive a dose of the, the Pfizer, COVID vac- Pfizer um, COVID vaccination. It's the same it's essentially the same serum that adults get, but it's it's uh, one third of the dose. And and I'm just I'm curious as to whether people are going to buy in on this. Let me just share a couple of the texts, and then we're going to go to the phones. Jeff, uh, good afternoon. I have a ten year old boy, and I will most definitely be vaccinating him as soon as the Pfizer vaccine is approved. My thirteen year old is already vaccinated and had no adverse effects. Um, let's see. Uh, Jeff, I have a five-year-old. We talked to our pediatrician, um, and they recommended it, so she will get it. Okay, then the contrast. Here's another one of our texters. Heather says, not for my three kids, not until there is more than 18 months of safety data that is out there. Jeff, have some of your people check how many people under 18 have died in Wisconsin from COVID. Kids have always gotten the flu. I think the point is that that the kids, as a general rule, aren't going to get seriously ill and die from COVID. And and by the way, the statistics do tend to bear that up, which is to, but isn't to say, though, that it's not possible for somebody to get, including a child, to get really sick. Jeff, as the parent of four children under 12, we will not get our kids vaccinated. Um, the risk to our children is just too great. It, the risk to our kids is just not there from COVID. My wife and I, by the way, we are vaccinated. 855-616-1620. Are people going to buy in? Because that's the real question. Let's start with Maggie in Port Washington. Hi, Maggie. Hi, Jeff. Okay, are you going to buy into this? Do you think people will buy into this? I want to get my child vaccinated. She's 11. She's going from the, she would be, depending on when it comes out, she'll either get the one-third or she'll get the full strength. I just want to make sure that the one-third would be good for her as a fit or if the full strength should work because she's going to fall at 12. Right. Probably, you know, at a weird time when this all launches. And yes, I want to get her vaccinated. Tell me why. What's your thinking on that? I want her to be safe to go visit family. Okay. You are you worried about her being? And for example, let me read you a text that just came in. Um, Jeff, check the numbers in Wisconsin since March of 2020. Zero kids aged zero to no children aged zero to eleven have died from COVID. Three kids passed uh, away from COVID ages 12 to 18, and they all had obesity and diabetes issues. I don't think any kid should get COVID vaccines. That's the texter. Okay, so if you do look at the numbers, it's not like a huge number of children in your daughter's age range are, are getting are getting sick with COVID. So wh- why why go Correct. ahead and do it? Yeah, but. But she's in other programs where she's around kids with 
other disabilities that right. she runs in 4-H. She likes to participate. She'd rather not wear a mask. Right. She would prefer to visit family. Right. I mean, when you have somebody that can't be vaccinated, I have two of them in my family mm-hmm. that are adults, cannot be vaccinated for medical concerns. I would like to be able to see them. Right. And so your concern is it's not just your daughter getting sick herself, but in the event that she no, did get sick and she would pass it on to other people. OK, got it. No, thanks for calling. I appreciate it. And this I'm, I'm this is one of these topics where I'm, I'm I'm asking because it's going to be up to parents to make this decision. And so this is one where I, I I think it extremely unlikely, we talked a little bit about this yesterday, I think it's going to be extremely unlikely that the schools at this point in time are going to mandate COVID vaccinations for kids age 5 to 11. I just, I, maybe at some point in time that's going to happen, but I don't think we're anywhere near that. So I think at least in the short term, the question is going to be, are parents going to voluntarily buy into this? Will you have millions of people that make the decision to get their kids vaccinated or, or not? Um, 855-616-1620. Mike in Milwaukee. Hi, Mike. Hi, there. What do you think? Uh, the three grad kids, 14, 12, and 10, 14 and 12, have had double doses of Pfizer. The 10 will get it as soon as it's available for her safety safety of people around them, family members. And what people don't understand is if there's another variant down the road, this gives them a step ahead of that variant. And to get vaccinated is your moral duty as a parent. And these parents that say, oh, look at the numbers, oh, I these statistics, none of those people know anything about math and how to look at numbers and statistics. The ones that don't are the ones the kids that won't get it now are the ones whose parents are ignorant about well, the whole thing. Well, 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 well let me stop you there for it. But, but Mike, let me let me stop you there for a second before. I, mean, I understand, you know, the, the the social need for vaccinations and stuff. But you say they're ignorant about statistics. I mean, one of the things the CDC has been saying all along is there are there are certain groups of people, demographics, that are in much higher risk categories of having bad reactions. You know, older people, people with underlying health issues. And the, the numbers, and, and we've been living in a COVID world for, you know, you know, going on a year and a half now. I mean, the numbers show that not that many young people statistically have an adverse reaction if they get COVID. So why, I'm just curious, why, why do you think somebody's ignorant if they say, hey, kids aren't dying from COVID? Tell that to the parents of the 13-year-old who recently yeah. died, number one. Yeah. And number two, as I said, with another variant could come down the road, that's not in the statistics right now. But the statistics would favor you if you had the shot. And the parents that don't think it'll happen to their kid will be just like the parents whose 13-year-old don't have a child anymore. Okay, thanks for call. Appreciate it. I mean, there's all, that's, that's true. There's always going to be the... There's going to be the the exception to any, and it's it's just like with with the vaccines. You know, I I mean, I'm I'm a pro vaccination guy, but I understand there's breakthrough cases that that end up happening. So I mean, it's not a guarantee that you're not going to get sick. Still, from the perspective of of an adult, I think the the numbers pretty clearly demonstrate that if you had been vaccinated and you get COVID, your chances statistically of having of having to be hospitalized or dying are much much less than if you get COVID and you you aren't 
vaccinated? Like, what what are the numbers like with hospitalizations? Nine out of ten who people are hospitalized are people who are unvaccinated. So, but at the same time, I, I do th- there are the, these numbers that are out there, and I'm not sure I feel that it's fair to say that somebody who's looking at the numbers and saying, well, I'm I'm not sure that there's th- this risk. I, I, I'm not sure that makes them them ignorant. Um, 855-616-1620. Um, to me, the question would be, is, is there really any evidence to show that there's an adverse reaction to to these vaccines? 855-616-1620. Uh, let's talk to Megan downtown. Hi, Megan. You're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for having me, Jeff. Sure. Um, we have a child that's under the age of five, but as soon as our child's eligible for a vaccine, we can't wait to have him get his vaccine. But in the interim, I am vaccinated, so is my husband. But the, the issue, I think, with COVID and how it's been explained by our doctor is that children oftentimes can be the most asymptomatic, and they are the ones that can really be these super spreaders. And you are going to continue to have these variants that, that will come up and c- cause those breakthrough cases, as you pointed out, unless they do get vaccinated. So I don't think it is so much about Get your child vaccinated so they don't die. Although, you know, of course, there there could be that risk. But it's more about curbing that spread and ensuring that you don't have these children, like the previous uh, caller woman had said, being able to take them to see family and friends and making sure that your child isn't passing along COVID to somebody else. Do you have any concerns about... The the vaccine, this vaccination, which is is relatively new, being given to children that young who are still in the developmental stages. I don't have any concern because if my pediatrician and my family doctor are saying the the stats are there, the information that we have as doctors, I I can't go on the on the internet. I can't read medical journals, et cetera, and make that full opinion. I am not a doctor, mm-hmm. but I do have trust in the person that cares for me and the person that cares for my child. And if they're telling me, you know, once he gets to that age bracket where he can get his vaccine, or if it, they, you know, any of the, the, the vaccine makers say, okay, if you're two and up, you know, he can get the vaccine. And my doctors say, yeah, this is the best thing to do for him and, you know, for your family, I don't have any concern because I have to have a level of trust in the people that I trust taking care of me as well as the rest of my family. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting, Megan, because the, the, what, what you just said is kind of where I came down in the beginning of this. I, I mean, I, I have a, a physician that, that I go to and I, I rely, you know, we have discussions about stuff and I ask him things. Gee, should I get the shingle shot? Should I get this shot? Should I get that mm-hmm. shot? You know, and and he, we, we sit down and we talk about it and we go through, okay, well, these are some of the possible side effects, but, you know, looking at your history, you you, you get the flu shot every year, Jeff. You don't have any adverse reactions to this. There, there's no mm-hmm. history. And I, I, it's the same sort of thing. If, if my doctor says, I think you should get it, I say, okay, I'm going to roll up my sleeve. And, you know, that's how it was with the, right. the, the vaccination. I mean, because that's what I'm, I'm paying him for. And I guess if I don't trust my doctor's advice, then I should get a different doctor is kind of how I look at things. Right. And I think that's where we have to dial it back and go, okay, this isn't, you know, re- as you're reading through, you know, the text messages, everything to people, I'm not going to get my kid vaccinated and et cetera. And this is, you know, my, my choice, right? I, I guess that just seems, I understand the previous caller with the ignorant comment, too. I, I get some of that frustration, but 
it seems just counterintuitive that we see these doctors, people that we put trust in, we have those discussions about various, um, you know, in various stages of our lives, whether it be getting a mammogram or like right. get a flu shot, et cetera. And there is a level of trust there and comfortability. And if your doctors are saying this is the right thing to do, why why do we so staunchly, okay. you know, disagree uh, with that? Okay, Maggie, I got to take a break for the news. But one one more question. Thanks, Jeff. Tw- no, no, hold, hold mm-hmm. on. Before we go, one one more. Make sure. give me your prediction. Twenty eight million Americans, twenty eight million kids fall into this this category. What? Uh, Six months from now, what percentage of those 28 million do you think that the parents will have made, the, assuming this gets approved by the FDA, within six months, what percentage do you think will be vaccinated? 25, 50, 75? You know, I I would dare to say that I hope that it reaches the herd immunity percentage, yeah. and I'm hopeful that we can get there. I, I okay. don't think I can actually make that prediction because I do think it remains to be seen. But okay, fair enough. I appreciate Good. The topic. Thank Th- thanks, thanks for the call. I, I, I my, my guess is thirty percent. That's just my guess. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be back with the news. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. My eyes are finally starting to clear up. If you weren't listening at the start of the show, I, I had a, just a routine appointment with, with the eye doctor. Just nothing. Just, you know, regular checkups that I'm supposed to get every year that for some reason, oh, because my doctor, my my eye doctor retired. So I kind of delayed it and then had to find a new doctor and all that. So it's been about two years. So the appointment was, was today and had to wait for a while to get the appointment. So I went in and the new doctor, she was wonderful and stuff and had all those different tests and the things done with your eyes and all that. And one of the things, of course, they have to do is dilate your eyes. And that's that's always this interesting experience. You know, like, like coming out, I'm, I'm very glad it was overcast today because you know, I had to drive from the eye doctor to work. And it's like I'm, I'm wearing my darkest pair of sunglasses. And then for the last couple hours, it's been sort of interesting trying to look at a computer screen where things blur and all. But it's it's coming back. I'm, I, I have been remiss in answering texts just because it's kind of hard to see the keyboard. But it's starting to get a little bit better now. All right. Tony, see, there's all sorts of stuff that Tony Evers might be able to do in the COVID world and still get himself reelected. I, I don't know. I think I think he faces an uphill battle, but it, it you know anything is sort of possible. And I I think you know he's going to have a lot of justifying to do. But you know maybe it's possible that he's going to be able to survive his en masse lockdowns, and and maybe it's going to be possible that he's going to be able to survive the you know the mask rules and all the these different types of things that that he's done. Maybe he will survive it. Here is something that he would not be able to survive. I guarantee it. So if I was offering Governor Evers any advice on his re-election campaign, I would say do not do what they are doing in Pennsylvania because it will be a political bloodbath. What are they doing in Pennsylvania? They're limiting the amount of liquor that you can buy. Yes, This is it. Now, see, in Pennsylvania, unlike in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania is one of those states where the state, the Pennsylvania Liquor Control Board, controls the the sale of of alcohol. They don't have, I'm not sure about beer, but but certainly not for for hard liquor. They do not have independent liquor stores. You don't don't have an Otto's. You don't have a a, a Total Wine. You have state-run liquor stores that are that are out there so if you want to if you want to buy 
you know, liquor for if you want to buy bourbon, if you want to buy scotch or whatever, you got to go one of the, to one of the uh, liquor stores that are run by the state. Uh, there are shortages, apparently, that are out there because of supply chain issues and stuff. So what Pennsylvania has done is they have just announced that they are limiting customers to two bottles of certain alcoholic beverages per day. Um, they've got some items, and it, it tends to be some of the higher-end stuff, Hennessy Cognac, Buffalo Trace Bourbon, um, Patron Tequila, they said, okay, you are going to be limited. We are not going to allow you to buy more than two bottles of this a, a day. Now, I, I don't I don't know. If, if you're going through two bottles of tequila a day, you, you've got various issues. But, but you understand the point. Um, liquor store customers in North Carolina are seeing all sorts of out-of-stock things as well. And what's happening is that the demand is just outpacing the supply Uh Producers are apparently struggling to get glass bottles. That's apparently become an issue. And, I mean, some of the distilleries were shut down during COVID, and they really haven't caught up. And, of course, like a lot of liquor, many types of liquors, like like bourbon, like Buffalo Trace bourbon, takes a, a long while to make. And so what's happening is there's this backup in the supply chain. But uh, in Pennsylvania, they've said, we're putting you on two-bottle limits. Well, again... I think there's all sorts of stuff that you can do. And if you're a politician, there's heat that you can end up fading. I think in Wisconsin, if Tony Evers were to come out and say, all right, we're going to pass this rule that you can only buy two bottles of Woodford Reserve or you can only buy two bottles of Tito's vodka or whatever in any given trip, I suspect that that would pretty much be the end of the Evers administration. Because here in Wisconsin, who are people to tell us how many bottles of brandy we can buy in one time? I don't think he's going to end up doing it. But if you're in Pennsylvania, two-bottle limit. Back with more in just a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The headline in the story in the Madison paper says, I know you think I'm nuts. I know you think I'm nuts. Well, it's quoting Tommy Thompson, former governor of the state of Wisconsin, former director, head of the uh, Federal Department of Health and Human Services. says, I know you think I'm nuts. Now, for those of us who've, who've known Governor Thompson over the years, Friends, I consider myself a friend. Maybe on political opponents, people say, "Well, yeah, we, yeah, we've been thought he's nuts for years and years." I, I, I haven't. I've always, uh, I think he's just kind of a force of nature. But the, the, what, what the governor is referring to is the fact that he uh, just recently, like last week, underwent surgery. He, he injured his shoulder, tore his bicep, so it had to be reattached. And but what happened is it was the way he injured it. Now, Governor Thompson, Tommy Thompson, is seventy nine years old. He's in, I, I think, amazing health. I remember when he was running for U.S. Senate against Tammy Baldwin, what, six or seven years ago, he came into our studio and, and he was doing push-ups just to, to show that you know, he, he, he was completely fit and healthy in his you know early 70s. So he injured himself. If you hadn't seen the story, he, he was water skiing. 
He was out there water skiing, and and his, his explanation for this is he said, look, um, here, here's the bottom line. Maybe it's not the smartest thing I've ever done, but the truth of the matter is I love water skiing. I grew up doing it. I've always intended to be able to ski into my 80s. So I figured if I was going to do it, I had to ski when I was 79. That's why I started it. And he said, you know, he was, um, again, he just, you know, he, he was out there, and he just, he just ended up hurting his shoulder. He says... Yeah, he said, I intend to water ski again next summer, and you know what? I think I'm probably going to go snow skiing, you know, this winter. Yeah, I'm going to be 79 and 80, and I'm going to still be snow skiing, and I'm going to be water skiing next summer. And, and yeah, maybe some people look at this and think I'm nuts, or maybe people think, well, this isn't the smartest thing to do, but you know what? I want to do it. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't think, Governor Thompson, I don't think Tommy's nuts, I don't think that it's the smart, that anybody should say it's not the smartest thing to do. Actually, I think that this is the type of thing that, that should be applauded. I think people should intend to be as active as they can possibly be for as long as they can possibly be. And if you can get up on water skis, just do it. Yes, and I understand that if you take a tumble, maybe there's a chance that you're going to screw yourself up. But I think this is just absolutely great. And as more and more people live longer, I think there's this attitude that's out there that some people have that, you know, once you reach a certain point, you, you hang up the golf clubs. Once you reach a certain point, you stop riding the bike. Once you reach a certain point, you stop going down the hills on the skis. I, I think that's kind of the kiss of death, because I think in many respects, you know, you, you want to live life to the fullest. Now, my guess is you, you know, don't go down. If you're if you're skiing at, for example, 80, you're not going down the hill maybe as fast as you did when you were 60 or as fast as you were when you were 18. That's one of the inevitable things about aging. And maybe you're not bounding up the steps as much. But I, I don't. I don't think this is crazy at all. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As a matter of fact, quite to the contrary, I think stories like this, and you don't want anybody to get hurt. It's unfortunately screwed up his bicep. But I think stories like this are just absolutely, what's the word I'm thinking of? Inspirational. I, I mean, I think this is absolutely tremendous that, you know, you have, in, in this case, a, a very prominent person. I mean, everybody... Everybody knows who Tommy Thompson is, who's out there, you know, pushing the boundaries. And he's out there showing, hey, just because I'm 79 years old, age is really just the number. And some people might think it's nuts, but, you know, I wanted to do it. My intention is to do it. I think that is something, rather than being mocked, or rather than saying, oh, I think this is nuts, I think that's something that we should be applauding. 855-616-1620. We discuss in just a minute. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. I love this Tommy Thompson story. I, first of all, I, I mean, he hurt himself water skiing, and and you're, you're glad he's not seriously injured. But I love it. He says, "Look, I understand some people say I'm nuts, but I I, I grew up water skiing. I, I want to water ski in my 80s. I'm 79. Well, that means I, I got to do it. And he got injured, but he says, "You know what? I'm going to be snow skiing this year. I'm going to be water skiing next summer. I don't think that's nuts at all. I think that's something worthy of being applauded." John on the north side. Hi, John. Hey, buddy, how you doing? I'm good. What do you think about Tommy saying, hey, some people hey, think I'm nuts. Hey, man. <laughs> he ain't nuts. God bless Tommy Thompson. I'll be 70 in November, man. I still swim. 
I dive in a 12 feet and go to the bottom. You know, uh, I still, I still ride my bike. You know, hey, do you? You know, just stop getting old. You know, what I mean, yeah. you know, I, I, I want to stay as young as I can, man. I, I don't want to be bent over and on a cane and a crutch. No, I, I, that would be bad news for me. I want to do things. Right? Do you? I thanks. I, thanks for calling. I love it. That, that, that's that's it. You know, we were um we okay. So we were in Europe. With, we were in, we were in we took the Normandy trip uh what two weeks ago, and it was um you know there's there's a lot of walking that's involved. And I will tell you, we had some people in in our group who were just I, just amazed me. These we had people who were you know old, significantly older than me, and they're kind of running rings around me, but they want to see it. You know, it, it sometimes it's tough to do some of this travel because like Europe's really not disabled accessible, and you're you're climbing lots of stairs, and there's not railings. You got to be a little bit careful, but it, it's it's like there's this world out there that you want to do, and I mean, age really is just just kind of a number. Now, I understand that there's there are certain limitations that sometimes you know you have you have some physical limitations, but if you can still do it, I'm, I'm telling you, get get behind that boat. <laughs> Let's talk to uh, Lynn in Cedarburg. Lynn, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Hi, Lynn. I think he's doing the absolute best thing he can do. Um, I you have to have something to look forward to. And like last year with COVID, I biked about 2,800 miles. Now I do have an e-bike, but uh, I go out, you know, into the Kettle Moraine, go for coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to keep busy, and you need some. You need the fresh air. You need to have something to look forward to. So have at it and keep it up. <laughs> Thanks for calling. Absolutely, that is if if you can do it. I, I think you you should now look, and I I understand. I mean, look, there's some there's some people that at 35 probably you know shouldn't be on water skis or or whatever. But I I, I just I mean I hear this story, and like I say, I I think it's a it's an inspirational story. Uh, let's talk to Bob. Bob in Brookfield, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hey Jeff, I uh, had a mother in the mid 80s who was doing Western line dancing, so <laughs> maybe it's in my blood here. But I got a basic philosophy: when you stop learning. And you stop being active and moving, you start to decline. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You, I mean, thanks. See, I think that's one of the keys to growing old gracefully and aging well is finding stuff that you love to do. Also being open to, to new ideas and new things. Here's a text. Jeff, I'm 74. I still barefoot water ski. I'm shooting for 75. Uh, Marie in Germantown says, yay for Tommy Thompson. What an awesome role model for staying active and healthy no matter your age. Good for him. Jeff, I'm glad to see him active. I'm 65. I have arthritis in both knees, but I still plan to enjoy snowmobiling until I die. Absolutely. Jeff, I know an 80-year-old man that holds the national water ski jump record at 89 feet for the age division. Wow, I think that's it. Jeff, I'm 46. My brother is almost 60. We still participate in hockey. We both play. Um, I ref. He's coached. We want to stay involved. Feels it helps, keeps us sharp, fit, and allows us to participate in a sport that we absolutely love. Yeah, that's, look, that, that's the bottom line. So I, I hope that's the way that people are playing this out. You know, that it's, it's not, Oh, uh, I mean, oh, what's Tommy Thompson doing? He's crazy. He's water skiing. It's more like this is a role model. This is the cool thing. This is the type of stuff that we all should be doing. Now, look, I understand as you get older, there are limits. I mean, I do I climb up on roofs, for example, to am I on a second story roof to try to, like, clean out gutters? No, that. 
but I wouldn't have felt comfortable doing that when I was 30, much less my current age. But but at the same time, if you love water skiing, go do it. Whatever you want to do, go do it. Enjoy life to the fullest. Tommy is a great role model. Back with more in a couple minutes. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Is it the end of an era? No, I'm not talking about the Aaron Rodgers era in Green Bay. I'm talking about the way that many of us used to get to school. Now, when, when I was in high school, I went to Nicolay High School. My parents lived in Glendale, lived about three blocks away from the school. So it was no big deal. We, we just walked. I mean, I, I, I hadn't, hadn't seen a school bus since I got out of, of eighth grade. But the way a lot of people kids get to school is, of course, taking the school bus. That is changing a bit this year because there's not enough drivers. And, you know, if, if you turn on the local TV stations, it doesn't matter which one it is, it seems like almost every day or every other day, there's a story about the school bus driver shortage and how it's it's impacting kids. Um, MPS, for example, says this year during a normal school year, they were able to contract with with ten different bus companies to to get you know all the kids that need to be picked up and get to school to get them there. This year they're they're down to six, um, and as a result, one of the things that's happening is the absenteeism rate is huge. They estimate right now it's about thirty percent, but a portion of that is because there, there's not there's not buses on a regular basis that come out and pick up some of the, these kids. They don't have enough drivers to operate on, on a daily basis. Plus, what, what ends up happening is you've got all the other issues that are related to, to COVID and things like that. But the big problem is MPS says they are currently about 80 bus drivers short. M80 bus drivers short. Now, now think about that because it's this isn't one of these deals where, in some businesses we talked about the other day, in some businesses you can partially compensate for a worker shortage by having your existing workers work overtime. And, and there, you know, I mean, I, I think there's there's a limit to how much you can do that. But yeah, if, if your workforce is down 20%, right, maybe you can cope with that by saying, okay, you, all, the existing workers, you're going to have to you know work 20% longer and you can kind of make it up. School buses, it's, it's really not like that. I mean, you've got, you know, the drivers have, have assigned routes and the kids have to get to school at certain times. So it's difficult to simply say, okay, we're going to, we're going to ask you to work overtime because that doesn't help you when the, the route, you know, you, you start your route at six o'clock in the morning, you get all the kids there by like 730. It, it's difficult to say, okay, now we're going to get you somewhere else and start a route. It's just harder to cover with overtime. Um, but school districts all across the country are, are finding this out. As a matter of fact, one of the things that they're doing to try to cope with the driver shortage is these school bus companies are, are paying I mean, pretty good starting wages. I mean, right now, um, the starting pay for a school bus driver, and I think you have to be 21 years old, and it's it's 19 to 20 bucks an hour. Um, training only takes a couple days, and a lot of places are paying signing bonuses of a thousand bucks. So you can come in, you get a thousand bucks, and you know you can get 19 or 20 bucks an hour. Now, driving a school bus is is a tough job. 
not it's not for me. Um, you've got it, it's a split shift typically. You know, you're going to be in the morning and then you come back in in the afternoon, and it's it's night, but it's still it's nineteen or twenty dollars an hour with a signing bonus. But yet they, they can't find people to do this, and this is not an uncommon thing. I mean, what's going on in the Milwaukee area, for example, is going on all throughout Wisconsin, and it's going on across the country. You know, school districts all over the country are talking about this huge driver shortage. I think we discussed this maybe a week or two ago. Matter of fact, in one state, they're even considering calling up, wait for it, the National Guard to come out and drive school buses to get the kids to school. But the real world situation is, at least for the time being, there's not enough school bus drivers. And I don't know when that's ever going to get back to normal. I mean, I'm wondering whether this is the, the new normal out there, that there's just not enough people who want to do this particular job because, again, it's challenging and it's got, I mean, it's got some drawbacks because, again, it's, you're probably talking about a split shift, even though it, it pays reasonably well, but there's also a lot of responsibility and there's the pain in the butt of driving, you know, elementary school kids on school buses with all the stuff that goes on there. But the reality is what's happening is you've got a lot of kids who aren't getting to school. And so they're in a position where they're back to remote learning or whatever. And here's the aspect of the story I want to talk about. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Given that there is a shortage of school bus drivers, and it's a shortage that I don't think is going to go away anytime soon, what what is the solution to it? Is it, I don't know, raising the pay for drivers more? Or is it simply a recognition to parents that, you know, we're not going to be able to provide this service like we previously did? And what that means is you, mom, you, dad, you're going to have to take the responsibility for getting your kids to school. And we understand that that might be inconvenient with your schedules or whatever, but we're not able to provide that transportation because we don't have enough bodies. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I guess that's how I'm looking at it. I mean, short term, and I, I read some of these stories where they say the kids are at home because the school bus lines are all messed up or whatever, and you know, mom or dad can't take the kid to school. And to which my response is, what do you mean mom or dad can't take the kid to school? I understand it might be inconvenient for mom or dad to have to take the child to school, but isn't that one of the primary things? And until we can figure out a way to work ourselves out of this school bus driver situation, isn't it reasonable to say to mom or dad, you got to make alternative arrangements? 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in a minute. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, when I was a kid, I walked where my parents took me. Things have changed so much. Uh, many cases for the worse. Jeff, driving a school bus nowadays is easier. The kids just play on their phones the whole bus ride, and they're pretty quiet. It's not like years ago when the kids were loud and out of control, causing trouble on the bus. This makes the driver job much more appealing. All right, well, here's a contrasting thing. Let me see. Let me pull this up here. Jeff, my mom 
did it for three years, and the kids were so rude and disrespectful. The kids have worse language than truck drivers have. All right, this is a very real issue that's out there. You don't have, there's a huge school bus driver shortage to the point that the kids aren't getting to school. My point is, at least for the short short term and maybe the long term, maybe we have to reassess this and mom and dad have to realize, even if it's inconvenient for them, they're going to have to work their schedules around to get the kids to school because, again, just saying, okay, well, the school bus isn't coming around, so you're going to stay and and sit in your room and, and look at a computer screen I don't see that as being a positive thing. Okay, let's start with uh, Jeremy and Racine. Jeremy, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Hi, Jeremy. I think there's like three aspects to look at this. One, obviously, is the COVID aspect. Uh, kids are now going to be hopefully getting vaccinated soon because of the, the CDC has allowed that for younger children. And, and the, the second aspect is pay. Um, a lot of truck drivers to, who have B licenses can get a chauffeur's endorsement. But the pay is just nowhere near the industry standard in regards to $28, $29 an hour starting for a lot of companies. And then the third aspect is the schools, I think, need to reevaluate who qualifies for transportation and who doesn't. Um, if you've got a kid that lives four blocks, five blocks away, I think it's time to get the crossing guards back out on the streets and, and these kids have to start walking back to school. Do you think... I'm intrigued by the pay issue because somebody just sent me a text and said, well, if they made the pay $35 an hour, that would that would get a lot of school bus drivers. And I, but, of course, it's, it's sort of a part-time gig. It's in the morning. It's in the afternoon. Do you think that – would that would that solve the problem if they if they essentially doubled the pay from 19 or 20 up to 35 bucks or, or close to 40 bucks an hour? Um, I think it wouldn't be a bad thing. Um I, it's hard to say. I don't know. You know, sometimes maybe the bus drivers are starting at like four in the morning, depending. You know, yeah. rural drivers might have to start a little earlier. So it's more. It may be a split shift, but it still could be considered a full time. You know, forty five plus hours a week. Anything like sporting events, right? Uh, things like that for a bus driver to come on. Pay would probably be a, a big factor in, in drawing in a larger crowd because the, the industry around the southeastern area. In, in itself, trucking companies are starting out at $28, $29 an hour. Right. And so if you want to, right. it's hard to walk away from something like that, you know? No, got it. Thanks for calling. Appreciate it. 855-616-1620. I, I mean, I, I think I, the, the problem, of course, is schools are, are, strapped, <clears throat> are strapped for resources as it is. And so, I mean, I, I can only imagine... What all of a sudden, if you think of all, think, think of all the, the people that drive bus routes on MPS. Okay, so let's say we're now going to suddenly, it's not quite double, but work with me. We're, we're going to start doubling everybody's salary. So, I mean, think of what that's going to do to the labor cost that's out there, and, and where is that money going to come from? Another caller from Racine, Mike and Racine. Hi, Mike. You're on WTMJ. Yes, good afternoon. I was a former school board member, and the... Uh, overarching drive of late has been to consolidate schools, move away from your neighborhood school to more um, right. efficient, if you will, economy of scale models. And this is working against uh, where kids could, could walk, as you mentioned earlier. And have. Oh, I'm sorry, we lost Mike's call there. Sorry, my cell phone cut out. Um, I mean, clearly, I, I think Part of what's going on is you again you have this supply and demand problem that's out there. You have this this huge demand, and and, and you just you, you don't have the supply of drivers. I think COVID clearly was a factor because when when the schools 
so many schools shut down. I mean, you know, let's face it. I mean, during for like the last year and a half, you had lots of schools that were just absolutely virtual. So what happened is the, the there wasn't a need for the school bus drivers, right? Because the kids weren't going to school. So you had, I think, a lot of people who might have been driving the school buses decided that they were going to go somewhere else. It's like, all right, well, the, the, this route's been canceled, so um, I'm going to go. I'm going to go work at at Menards. I'm going to go work at Target. I'm going to do these other things, and and maybe they've decided that they kind of like the regularity of that, and they don't want to come back to dealing with driving. Maybe they've gone to trucking companies. I, I don't know, but I think that's COVID has clearly had an effect on that. The issue to me is how do you get them back? And short term, I don't know that you are going to get them back. So short term, at least, I, I think it might be, hey, mom and dad, you're going to be the ones who are going to be responsible for figuring out, you know, what your plan B is. Let's talk to, um, let's see, Esther in Milwaukee. Hi, Esther. Hi, how are you today? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? I honestly am an educator, and I see this daily. There are a lot of families who genuinely need transportation. There are other families that necessarily don't. There's no reason why families can't get together, come up with some sort of carpooling Mm -hmm. system. Um, Aunts, aunties, uncles, grandmas, grandpas, somebody has to help out. Um, There are other communities in other states who have enlisted their... um, sources that are excuse me that are you know able to do the driving for the communities they've enlisted the I'm sorry they've enlisted you know their resources to have drivers that are part of the military come in and do those yeah like the National Guard yeah, the National Guard, they need to think of these things. A lot of these families have children that have educational plans. Mm-hmm. In those plans, they have transportation. These are the families that are being left behind. A lot of these families have children in wheelchairs mm-hmm. um, that don't necessarily have a vehicle that has, you know, the means to have that child transported. And these are the families that are being left behind. Yeah. So those who are able to need to step up. Well, exactly. All on us. No, no, thanks for calling us. I guess, I, I, let me break that down a couple of things. I, I think you're, the first part of what you were talking about is absolutely right. Whether it's arranging carpools or, or things like that, maybe, maybe, maybe that is the deal. You get four families in a neighborhood together and you say, okay, if you don't, if you don't want to take Jeff to school, if, if it's difficult for me to drive Jeff to school every day, well, what I'm going to do is, <clears throat> I tell you what, I'll, I'll drive Jeff and Mark and Frank and Scott, I'll drive them to school on Monday, you drive them to school on Tuesday and you work out those kind of arrangements. And, it might not be ideal, but I think it's the better thing. Now, as far as the National Guard, and I said this the other day, I, I, I just don't believe that that's the National Guard's function. Keep in mind, National Guard members, they're, they're not, as a general rule, they're not full-time soldiers. They, they, they've got their own jobs. And, I mean, I think it's appropriate for the National Guard to be called up in times of emergency. And, yes, it's appropriate to send the National Guard to Kenosha when you've got the riots that are going on to help assist local law enforcement. I think um, the National Guard and, and the role they had, for example, in getting the COVID vaccination sites up 
was was appropriate for a limited period of time. I just don't think it's practical to say to National Guardsmen, okay, we're going to call you up, we're going to train you to be school bus drivers, you're going to have to leave your job, and then we're going to say, okay, you know, you're going to be driving a school bus from August through December, and then come back and drive January through May. I, I just don't think that that's that's not the answer. I don't think that's what the National Guard is either trained to do or equipped to do over a long period of time. So I think that, you know, the bottom line is until there's more of a balancing of this kind of supply and demand issue that's going on now, I think what's got to happen is I think parents have to realize that, you know, maybe it's on them to kind of make alternative arrangements because candidly, I don't see this problem going away anytime soon. And for people who say, oh, I'll pay them 35 bucks an hour instead of 20, that's all well and good. And, and maybe that will encourage a few more people to, you know, leave where they're working now and come back and start driving school buses. But then the other question is, okay, who's, who's going to pick up the tab for that? And where, where is that money going to come from? Just another one of the joys of dealing with a pandemic, I guess. Okay. When we come back, the Wisconsin afternoon team will turn it over to them in just a minute.